I asked today's speaker how to pronounce his name, and he told me it's Victor Lachev. Victor will share with you the importance of connection to those who are dying and to our own death in a meaningful way. Victor was trained as a pediatrician and worked for many years for the New Mexico Department of Health. He is a co-founder of New Mexico's Men's Wellness, which has been providing low-cost events for men to unravel their negative conditioning and explore the joys of being masculine. Please, let's welcome Victor. Thank you so much. It really is an honor and a privilege to be asked back again to share some ideas with all of you and all of you out in Zoom land. Gone are the days when most people in the normal course of growing up were exposed to births and deaths, those natural bookends, if you will, on this amazing journey that we call life. So today I want to share with you a little bit some ideas about connecting with those who are dying and creating a conscious connection with our own good death. Common wisdom says, I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to live too long. And what that reflects is that for most people, it isn't so much the fear of death as the suffering and pain that precedes death that gets us upset and anxious. Woody Allen quipped, I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) On the contrary, I think that most of us would like to die the way we want to live, which is with awareness, with the freedom and to make important decisions and choices in our lives, as pain-free as possible, that's how I want to live, connected to those that we love and care about, and perhaps with a certain amount of curiosity about what might be coming up next. We don't know what's going to happen this week, and we certainly don't know what's going to happen once we die. Now, Western medicine, in which I have been trained, graduated med school in 1973, is all about keeping us alive for as long as possible, even with a horrific quality of life. And as hospice has become more accepted, and New Mexico finally got a death with dignity law, we have choices about those final chapters, the entrance into what I like to call the final frontier. But in order to make those choices, to even be able to have conversations about what might be available to us, we have to get comfortable with our own mortality. So how do we go about doing that? I want to suggest to you eight different ideas that I came up with for this talk to help us kind of settle in and accept and perhaps get a little more comfortable with that reality. There's an expression in Italian, which I love. My grandfather always used to say it. La vicaia è una carogna, ma è più carogna di non arrivarla. Anybody speak Italian? Roughly translated, it means getting old is a pain in the ass but it's worse if you don't get there. (laughs) Now, the samurai in the samurai culture had this idea, this concept, that they would awaken each morning refreshed by the thought of their own death. I practiced Aikido for 23 years, so I got very much into Japanese culture. And the whole idea of Bushido, which was their code, which involved loyalty, commitment, discipline, openness, 
all spoke to the fact that on any given day, they might be called to sacrifice their life for a higher purpose in which they believed and in which they were committed. Now, along with this comes the idea of momento mori, and momento mori is just reminder of death. And it's an object. It could be a poem. It could be a letter. It could be a coin. It could be a photograph. Something that you carry with you that reminds you of your own death and that your own death might be today. Now, in the interest of being open and vulnerable, I'm going to share with you my own personal memento mori. You have complete permission to laugh if that is what the authentic impulse is for you. So I don't carry around this every day, but I do carry it around from time to time. I stick it in my pocket or my man purse, and (laughs) here we go. Drum roll, please. It's a little action figure of Yoda. Now, Yoda lived to be a very old man, 900 years, supposedly, and decided when the moment was right for him to just enter into spirit and become part of the force. So it's a good role model for me. I know I'm not going to make 900 years, so he reminds me of that, too. The first idea is this idea of a momento mori. What might you carry around in your pocket or your purse on a regular basis, not necessarily every day, that just reminds you of your mortality. The second idea is that of a home altar. Very common in many cultures, particularly in Asian cultures, to have an ancestor altar. I have one shelf on my bookcase in my office that has photos of my parents and grandparents, so I get to look at it every day when I go to my little office space. And And the idea here, which really didn't appeal to me in my younger years, but became more important as I got older, was to honor them simply by lighting a candle on their birth date and their death date. Very simple practice. But it reminds me not only of my own mortality, but of the reality that I stand, as we all do, on the shoulders of those who came before us. It was their work and effort and goodness in the world that allowed me to be where I am at this point in my life. Hopefully, by the age that most of us in the room are, we've kind of worked through the wounds, the childhood wounds, and learned to celebrate the gifts, the good things that we got from those who raised us. The third idea is a collection of a few things. As was mentioned, I've been involved in creating gatherings for men for 37 years now. We're in our 37th year of providing low-cost opportunities for men to come and hang out with each other and celebrate the joys of being male and kind of unravel some of the negative conditioning about what most of us have been taught it means to be a real man in this culture. We've had a lot of fun over the years playing with mortality. One of my favorites was that I came up with this idea of a death token. So we found this nice rock. And one of the beauties of men's wellness is that you get to rub shoulders and hang out in a very intimate way with people that ordinarily in your life you might not encounter. So we've got carpenters and educators and Los Alamos physicists and counselors and all kinds of folks that show up to these gatherings. The idea with the death token, we had one of the artist types paint it so it was a really beautiful object, a small little flat rock. And the idea was that during this three-day conference, wherever you were, when the death token was passed to you, whether you were in a 
on your walking your, on your way to the dining room at Ghost Ranch or sitting down for a meal at Ghost Ranch or involved in a small group sharing or in your room getting ready to go to bed or dancing around the fire or drumming around the fire. Whatever was happening, the idea when you got the token was you removed yourself quietly from whatever was going on and you got to be dead for a certain amount of time. And that was up to you. No chance to say goodbye, no chance to get your things in order. You're dead. And what does that experience feel like viscerally? as you're holding this rock. So it was great fun. We've used that a number of times over the years. Another time, we managed to get some cardboard coffins. Each small group had its own coffin, and the idea was that one man at a time would lie down in the coffin, and the other five men, we often do things in groups of four to six, but five men would then get to talk about what they knew about that human being, even if they had just met them, what they've observed so far and so on. So it's like you got to listen to be dead in the coffin, which was an interesting experience in and of itself, and then listen to kind of your own memorial or being memorialized. Third idea that we played with a lot and have used a number of times over the years is to write your own eulogy. Very interesting exercise if you've never tried that. So I want to share one with you that wasn't from that, but it was a creative one that I found. He lived a lifetime of frugality, hoarding and cheap mischief, often at the expense of others. Being the eldest was a dubious task, but he was up for the challenge and led and tortured his siblings through a childhood of obnoxious pranks. Joe embarrassed his wife daily with his mouth and choice of clothing. He never met a dog he didn't like, was a frequent shopper at the Essex dump, and he left his family with a house full of crap, 300 pounds of birdseed and dead houseplants that they have no idea what to do with. There wasn't a road, restaurant, or friend's house in Essex that he didn't fall asleep on or in. There wasn't an occasion too formal or an event too dour that Joe didn't interrupt with his apnea and voluminous snoring. He despised formality and stuffiness and would be really ticked off if you showed up in a suit. (laughs) The whole idea of writing your own eulogy doesn't have to be filled with doom and gloom, right? It can have some of these other interesting ideas. No, that was written by his family. Okay. That was written by his family. after I found it in some article. But the ones that people wrote at the men's conferences were also quite interesting because you got to write it and then you got to share it in your small group. Fourth idea. How many people are familiar with the hypnagogic and hypnopompic states of consciousness? Or you've ever heard, perhaps even just heard those words. The hypnagogic state is when you are falling asleep. Your brain waves do different things. And the hypnopompic state is when you are awakening, first awakening into consciousness in the morning. The hypnagogic state is really easy to explore and have some fun with. If you just lie flat like you are in bed when you're getting ready to go to sleep and put your arm at 90 degrees to the bed, what happens as you fall asleep is you lose postural tone, which briefly wakes you up into the fleeting images and thoughts that are happening in that hypnagogic state. I personally believe that both the hypnagogic and the hypnopompic states are ideal states for programming, if you will, this biocomputer that we have, our big brains. What you tell yourself or what you awaken into as you awaken in the morning in terms of consciousness, I believe are quite important. So I have a regular practice where I'm falling asleep and entering that hypnagogic, half-asleep, kind of falling asleep state, 
of just going through some moments of gratitude from what happened during my day. And in the morning, one of the first things, actually the first thing that I do, is I visualize a good death for myself. I want to invite you to play with that, to think about what the idea of a good death might mean to you, and then to start to program some of that. As you enter consciousness, I see myself as an old man lying in a bed, surrounded by people that I care about, having lived a healthy life up to then. I choose to live a long and healthy life. You can add some affirmations to it if you like. But after a time, it will sort of become automatic, if you practice it like anything, that that is the first awareness that you enter into as you are waking up. They're fun states to explore, both the hypnagogic state and the hypnopompic state. Idea number five is, like Jane, I love the wisdom of the innocence. And death is a mystery. None of us knows what's going to happen when we're on the other side of that. So I have some words from some young people also. What happens when you die? This is from Teresa, age three. Is it like a popsicle and you just melt into the ground? And when we told my four-year-old son that his grandfather has passed away, without missing a beat, he said, a body is like a battery. It eventually runs out of power. Every time we have to go over the whole death thing, Noah always says over and over as if he's trying to convince himself, and this is a a six-year-old, no one ever really dies because they live in our hearts always. I overheard one of my first-grade students say, I think we should remember Nana's death today with granola bars during snack time. Nana really loved granola bars. Dear God, this is from a a four-year-old, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you got now? And dear God, I'm not so sure I can trust you. This is the same kid. I thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. This is a woman saying, I use the phrase that you kids will be the death of me. And my little one, who age three, said, that's okay, Mom, we'll still grow up. (laughs) I think my son was about four and we're sitting eating dinner when he says, sometimes my weenus has bones in it. Where do they go? (laughs) He asked that with the same earnestness that earlier he had asked where Grandpa went after dying. Part of number five here is to realize that whenever we have the opportunity to connect with someone who is dying, it's sacred and it's a gift. It really is an amazing gift. So I want to share with you just very quickly the brief story of each of the four most important people in my life who raised me, who died. I think what I'll do is just tell you about the most recent experience, and that was with my father. I helped my father have a good death in Florida in his home two years ago. My dad was a difficult character, and I I was telling my friends that, well, he's at the point now where he can only micromanage me in the bedroom. (laughs) He can't do it throughout his little condo anymore. And that happened fairly quickly. He did a voluntary stopping of eating and drinking. He had had a rectal bleed, ended up in the hospital with all the tests and all the rest of it, got him home. He said, I don't want to do that again. So we connected with hospice so that if it happened again, he would go into hospice rather than go through the whole medical trip again. I got home after being there for 10 days in Florida and within 24 hours got called back because he had another rectal bleed and hospice had arrived at the house. So then I took care of him 24-7 for about two and a half, three weeks as he gradually went to the other place. 
And it was such a gift. I remember, I'll just tell you one little, one or two little pieces. I, I had a friend who said in an email, make sure you tell him everything that you need to tell him and, you know, clear and clean everything. And I, and I wrote back and I said, no, you know, it's not at all about digging up all the old wounds. It's really about me being of service to him during this amazing passage. The idea here with number five is simply remember that any time you have the opportunity to spend time with someone who's dying, you don't have to fix anything. All you need to do is be present. That's the most important thing. And that that really is a gift that will inform you in so many ways. Number six is I know that Barrack Wolf, who again I want to honor for his years of dedication to getting a death with dignity law passed in New Mexico. I know that two weeks ago he spoke here. It's ongoing work. He's chairman of the board. They need volunteers. Check out End of Life Options New Mexico for the good work that they're doing. That and the fact that hospice has become more acceptable. We need to explore those options for ourselves. And the time to do that is now, to think about those things now. Seven is fairly quick also in terms of continuing that exploration to think about how it is we would like to die, part of what our good life might be about, People have started doing death salons where, like a book club, you meet and you get together, but you talk about dying, and you talk about what you'd like to create for yourself. Probably not as much fun as a Tupperware party, but who knows? I mean, you can have the party now and not wait for your memorial when you can't hear any of the good stuff. Part of that includes the notion of a home funeral. When my grandfather died, he was in Casa Pacifica, a home for the well elderly here because he got too dangerous for him to be at home. I was there with him holding his hand. When he died, I called my men's group. We wrapped him in a sheet. We put him in the back of my pickup truck. We brought him out to my house where he stayed for about 48 hours before we took him to the funeral home and then shipped him back east for a funeral. Many things are possible with that. Think about the idea for yourself of a green burial. Do you really want chemicals pumped into your body that are then going to go into the soil and big needles stuck into your abdomen so that they can get the bad gas smells out and fake makeup put on your face. That's what the funeral industry does. In a coffin that's non-biodegradable. They have amazing now, they're making coffins, handcrafted coffins out of wicker or willow material that will biodegrade. You can have a cremation and be put in an urn that has the seeds for a tree or a little tree so that you're planting a tree when you plant your remains. Interesting stuff to think about and explore. And again, a way of accepting more our own mortality. The final piece to think about is two quick things. One is a Zen story that many of you may have heard of someone who's walking in the woods and they see a tiger. The wind is not in their favor, so the tiger also sees them and smells them. And they start backing up because they know to turn and run is not the right thing to do. And they get around a curve in the road, and then they run. And they come to a precipice, and they jump off the precipice, and they're holding on by a vine, and they see the tiger approaching. And they look down at the bottom of this steep incline. There's another trail down there. And there's a tiger down there, tiger above, tiger below. A little mouse starts, comes out, starts chewing on the vine. <laughs> and at that moment, they notice that there's a strawberry plant. Wild strawberries, I don't know how many of you eat wild strawberries when you can find it, but they're very tiny. They're about the size of a pea. And there's one there, and he takes it, and he puts it in his mouth. And in that moment, that's the end of the story. But you can imagine that 
the relevance for the talk today is to find those strawberries every day in our lives. Those moments when we have that strawberry, that special little beautiful thing could just be in the gorgeous place that we live in New Mexico, just looking at the sky or the trees or spring finally being sprung. Whatever it is, find those strawberries. And the other piece is a wonderful meditation. If you're not familiar with Sam Harris, you can just Google Sam Harris the last time. He has a beautiful meditation called The Last Time to imagine it's the last time that you're getting to hug your daughter. It's the last time you'll eat this favorite meal, frutta di mare, mm, seafood and spaghetti. It's the last time that you're going to play guitar. It's the last time that you'll talk on the phone with someone, which happened to me just in January. A good friend passed away. had a long catch-up for about an hour, and the next day he was dead. This notion of the last time reminds us not only of our mortality, but the preciousness of everyday existence. So I want to close with a poem that a friend of mine, a guy that's been in my men's group for many years, who now has the intention, after helping an uncle have a good death, of becoming a death doula. And his name is Constantina Latsis. Hope and pray we do for a long life, yet every day we live, someone dies. Famous people, homeless folk, and those we hold dear, who nurtured us, made us laugh, made us cry, die. Like a rabbit running from coyote, we shiver at the thought of it. But there is no escaping it. The pack has got our scent. As it is with the nature of our planet, if we can see that we are just a portion of the larger being where birth and death are required for each other, then maybe we can surrender to the cycle as a small bird does when captured by the cat. Thanks so much. Have some fun playing with these eight ideas.